What's going on? It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we chatted with Nick and Maceo of the Omis oh over Zoom video. Both Nick and Maceo were born and raised in Chicago. They met through a mutual friend that attended both Maceo and Nick's high school at different periods of time. We hear how both of them got into music. Maceo has a story about booking studio time with no real songs, no complete songs. And then he runs into Nick at Lollapalooza, asks him if he wants to jam and, and finish these songs. So they, they put some songs together and went to the studio, recorded them, loved what they were doing, started playing shows around Chicago. We talk about their first record, Chicago Style. They tell this really interesting story about Chance the Rapper. He was still in high school and putting him on the song, The Wonder Years, which Maceo had just written about its grandfather that passed away. We also learn about their second record, Tomorrow, building a studio right before the pandemic hits and kind of having a full circle moment where they were able to record this new EP, No Swimming, on their own time, demo the tracks out at home, and then kind of have free reign to to come and go and write songs uh, with no real time constraint. So we learn all about that new record, No Swimming. And you can watch the interview with Maceo and Nick and myself on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, It'd be awesome if you follow us there as well. And if you have time, hook us up with a five-star review. It'd mean the world to us. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with the Oh My. This podcast is about the both of you and your journey in music. We'll talk about the EP released. And I'm, I'm really curious how you guys met and uh, started Oh My. So, yeah, sweet. Um, I was going to see that. Are you... Well, first off, were you guys born and raised in the same area? Like, did you know each other growing up or no? No, we're both raised in different parts of the north side of the city. Um, we really crossed paths. I got uh, a scholarship to a school that was just south of uh, me, and it was down the street from Nick's high school. And so uh, we had a mutual friend that went to both, left my school, went to his, and introduced us. And so that's kind of... Oh, okay. Well... Talk to me about uh, where you grew up then, Maceo. Oh, I lost your audio there. Crazy. Okay. Well, now I can hear you. All right. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we met through a mutual friend that went to my high school and then left and went to his. And so like fuse group, friend groups. Sure. Well, how far away were you from like the, the, the high school you got a scholarship to? Uh, I was probably what I would say it's probably five miles, right? Maybe. Oh, so it's close. It wasn't like you traveled clear across the state or anything like that. No, no, no. Yeah, decent travel in the city. Like sure. Yeah, hour, I guess five miles in the city would be kind of a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's a lot well, of train. train yeah. Yeah. Action. Well. Well, talk to me about where you originally grew or where you grew up. Yeah, uh, I grew up in Rogers Park, uh, where I live now, like literally down the street from from uh, where I grew up. Um, and it's like the furthest north neighborhood in the city. Okay. Um, and 
probably at least for me that my favorite but um one of the most diverse neighborhoods both like ethnically um socioeconomically um in the city which is a very segregated city um and then one of the most in the whole country um it's like a designated uh sort of welcoming neighborhood for immigrants of all different types so you've got people from the Middle East, from Asia, from Africa, um, and Latin America, um, sort of all in this one neighborhood. So we eat really good food up here. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to say, you must have some great food <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from all over the place. That's awesome. How did you get into music? Uh, was your, were your parents musicians at all or music in your family at all? Um, my parents aren't musicians um but music was always in the household um my my dad big big dancer and, and music fan um and um and my mom too and so they just made it really really uh made it a point to have music and and you know music from their cultures my dad being black from the united states and my mom being cuban that sort of though that music was constantly played around the house and at home and i think really the only the first times i really saw music being you know i mean obviously i like saw music as like an active activity in like dancing in the home um but like when i saw the actual making of music live was really actually through my grandparents on both sides my grandfather you know like would like to sing on you know old Cuban boleros and stuff. He lived with me for um, some time. And then my grandmother uh, on my dad's side, um, spirituals. And so seeing them both separately at different points, actually like singing um, and it sounding good <laughs> um, was sort of like a, definitely the first place that I really, place that I saw music um, being something I could do. Okay. And were you, what was the first instrument you learned? Was it singing or are you like a singer as a kid growing up? No, never singing. Um, I like took some lessons um, at this community organization and piano, um, but that didn't really stick. Um, and then really the first instruments, and that was pretty young. Um, and it wasn't until probably when I got to middle school where I started taking Latin percussion, congas, um, mostly congas, but some timbales and, and you know, others, the, the, the basics of, mm -hmm. of Latin percussion. And that's really when I started, um, started really getting my feet wet, um, both playing with other people, you know, because with percussion, Latin percussion, it's not something you do by yourself. <laughs> you practice sure. by yourself, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's always in, in concert with other people. Uh -huh. um, and so that's where I started, like, A, finding, like, musical communities of Latin percussionists, but then also starting to, like, think about how I could make music, you know, not just the traditional music my mom was trying to make sure I learned, but also, um, you know, how I could apply it to what I was loving to do, which, or was into, which was, like, hip-hop. And mm -hmm. so started at some point to take what I learned from that and, you know, started making beats and and eventually um, started trying to write my own songs once I figured out I could sing somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Awesome. Well, uh, Nick, how about you? Where'd you, where were you born and raised? Yeah, I grew up in, in Wicker Park, um, super centralized north side neighborhood of Chicago, like right off of the train line that goes straight to downtown and, and um, the airport. And so it's it's always been like, 
a pretty busy, a pretty busy area. But um, and just growing up, like it was pretty. It was like the early stages of being like actively gentrified neighborhood from like a Puerto Rican, Puerto Rican and Eastern European community into just, you know, like by now it's a very yuppie white um, sort of middle upper upper class type neighborhood. But uh, growing growing up, it was like tons of record stores, uh, skateboard shop that I lurked at like loitered lurked around all oh the time. yeah so like tons of just really like hanging out in all these stores i had an older brother like four years older than me and we would just skate around the neighborhood bother the local store owners and learn about music from hanging out at the local record shop and from people playing music at the skateboard shop but uh definitely like a really hip hip like cool just you know, artist type community growing up, mm-hmm. coffee shops and all that stuff. So kind of like the little kids that everybody knew in like a 20s, 30s, 20 to 30 year old community that like everybody kind of brought us up and showed us what was hip and cool and all that type of stuff. So that was that was really a lot of a lot of my childhood. That's cool. I mean, I skateboarded growing up and that's really how I learned about a lot of music and different artists and, and, and bands and stuff. Cause it's so integrated in that scene. I mean, you'd watch the skate videos and it's like, Oh, what, what is this song? Oh, this is, yeah. you know, whoever. And like far side, like, well, okay, this is cool. I'm going to go listen to that. was that kind of a uh, way, a way you're discovering music at all. Yeah, for sure. I mean, from the, from the actual skateboard videos and then like learning more context. I mean, one of the main people who worked at the skateboard shop was like my first musical collaborator, like, like 20 something years in age gap. Mm -hmm. But, um, he had, he had been in tons of bands, like funk bands in the eighties and stuff, Stevie dread, um, and was a really just an amazing, like mentor of mine in general, just in life growing up, but then also was a really great drummer and had like, had a couple friends who all had a studio space down the street. And so that was thir- like 12, 13, 14. Those were the first recordings I was ever doing. And it was wow. super just kind of haphazard, like very jam, open open jam session. They, they weren't very concerned about song structure or anything. It was just a bunch of dudes who like to play music together and like hang out for hours like just with with the tapes running so mm-hmm. like other than definitely like learning songs from those videos and just hanging out and being a fly on the wall in the skateboard shop but a lot of those people were djs a lot of them were you know he was a drummer a lot of them were in skateboard and music mm-hmm. other than just the videos like there's there's right there's a, a culture there right yeah. connections to different mm-hmm. cultures so like a lot of the people in there, like the owner was a punk, had been in punk rock bands and was like an avid punk rock scene supporter and part of that community. And then you had Stevie Dredd, big into funk and hip hop. And then the other dude who worked there was a hip hop DJ. So more than just those, those, those videos, it was really like everybody also had a music scene to turn me on to. 
Wow. And like put me on to music that I would have not even heard in those videos or mm-hmm. wouldn't have heard at home. Sure. Wow. Were you a musician prior to that? Like when you're skateboarding, like what was the first instrument you learned? Yeah. So I started playing instruments like super early on. Like, like the ukulele was the first <laughs> instrument. Like just, I was too small. I, I was just expressing interest in music and, and instruments young, I think. And my, my dad, both of my parents are, are big into music, but my dad, neither of them are musicians. Neither of them had any participation in, in making music, but both, but my dad had like a huge record collection. Music is really important to him. So I grew up around a lot of music and must've just shown interest in music early on so they i was too small for a guitar so they got me a ukulele and then i liked that and wanted to go to lessons so at some point i graduated to like guitar and piano and so yeah at a a young age i was already learning a little bit about different instruments and like learning some of my favorite Beatles or Bob Marley songs and and like mm-hmm. all these sort of essential big big songs by big artists like starting to learn them on on guitar and ukulele and uh, piano and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I was I was big into music early on. Okay, and you you said you were you met up with uh, the the guy from the skate shop who is twenty years older than you are when you're in like thirteen years old and you're recording. Like, were you playing guitar with, with them? Like, how did that form? You just no, kind of like, asked. Piano was the thing that I like was, has always been my main instrument that I had okay. like the most comfort, knew the most about, was most comfortable on, like was at that point, 13, 14. Like I've listened back to some of those recordings, which is cool that I have them, but like mm-hmm. they're definitely still like cringeworthy like the <laughs> musical choices that I'm making, but I was at least capable of like sitting down with them and trying to hold my own. And they let me grab the keys. There was no one else trying to be the piano player in, in the crew. So uh, that was what I played. There was already a bass player and a guitar. Okay. Stuff like that. So you had, yeah, you already were playing piano at that point. Yeah. Okay. And then uh Maceo, So when you, you said you're, jamming with people also prior to meeting uh nick and then how did you guys end up you went to the same high school did did you start jamming right away or like how did that relationship form as far as you guys meeting and and befriending each other well we didn't go to the same high school um but uh oh the mutual friend between got it got it okay down the street um and so like really we didn't really actually play music together until i graduated from high school i'm a year older Um, okay we were like just kind of like in the same group of kids that like one kid's parents weren't around that often so we went and all partied at his house all the time and so like we're there's always that kid right yeah exactly (laughs) in every town there's that kid (laughs) people together you know um and so like to be like we weren't really close that during any of that time and like kind of didn't really like trust each other because we both were like reaching for the aux cord constantly or playing you know music that both of us liked but like we're like who's this person playing this Um, oh you guys were trying to like compete as far as like djing the party yeah 
Yeah, you know, Oxcore battles. Um, yes. And so and so like, you know, we both knew that knew each other, played music, um, but it wasn't until uh, a friend that was close to both of us in the crew, um, Tom Shuba, he was like, you guys really need to, um, you know, make some music together. You know, Nick plays keys. I know you play guitar and sing. And like, I think you guys have like similar musical interests and you should make music. And that didn't really turn into any, turn into anything until I graduated high school. And I like talked this kid into buying from my high school to buy a studio time. And I was like, oh yeah, I got a bunch of songs. I got a band together. It's going to be good, man. Don't worry about it. And then I definitely didn't have a band. Uh, I had like six half written songs, five half written songs. Um, and then we, I was at Lollapalooza that year, um, 2007 and was running around during the Kanye concert and bumped into Nick. And I was like, well, shit, he, I know he plays music. So, uh, at that point I didn't have a phone. I asked him to like write his number down on my, my arm. I was like, I got studio time in like two weeks. So, you know, I got some songs. He said he had a couple half written songs too. And um, it just kind of started from there. We got together and like hash, tried to hash out the unfinished songs we had. And that took about a week, a little bit more. And then with the remaining remainder of the time, we like threw together a band um, <laughs> of um, people that I had been playing with at high school and then people that Nick had been playing with. Um, he was in like a bunch of, of after school and out of school jazz programs. And so like he brought a horn player and a drummer and I brought a bass player and um, one of my close friends at the time. And then, you know, one of the original band members, um, Zach Wicks was an MC at the time. Cause I was like singing, but still really, you know, early in my singing and definitely wasn't like confident enough to like, to, to lead a band, like, you mm -hmm. know, on the stage or be the lead, the only vocal happening. Um, and he was just tremendous and big inspiration to both of us, but tremendous writer, amazing straight stage presence and just uh, amazing human being, um, rest in peace. And he, um, he was sort of like part of the, the energy and fire to like fused it all together. Um, and so, yeah, and that's kind of how we started. We, we had a, a recording of those songs. And then once we had those, like, all right, these don't sound bad. Uh, well, we should probably play some shows, right? You know, like we have some music, I guess. The mm -hmm. next thing is to play shows. And like, yeah, okay, we need a band. We have to be a band now. So we have to have a name. So we figured that out. And then. And this is the same um, group of people that recorded uh, that you all kind of threw together in the studio? Well, it was, you know, because uh -huh. it was hard. For the most part, you know, mm -hmm. because it was Nick and I's project, you know, like it was they were down to come and play whenever. But, you know, it was like our writing and, and they mm -hmm. came and helped make it sound good. Um, but the core of the band was in those original recordings. Um, our drummer and bass player, our bass player at the time, Carter Lang, uh, amazing producer and badass dude. Um, he was in the band, was in the band for a long time. And then members of the horn section, it, you know, like, because we started so young and it was at the age of people either going off to school or still being in high school and not being able to come to shows or performances or mm -hmm. whatever the case may be, there was sort of 
over the past whatever years like a uh, a changing group of of you know faces depending mm-hmm. on who had to leave town and whatever but the core was then and then we just kind of haphazardly started figuring out you know what what we wanted to make and who we wanted to be because you know at that point it was just some songs and uh, a couple a couple high school kids mm-hmm. and uh, with no real plan and you guys just what would play around Chicago area and eventually you did a yeah. an, EP, an EP what in 2000 potty mouth was that your first yeah. like EP EP yeah, yeah that was the first EP and that had like a couple songs from those original recordings and then um a couple other ones and that like we really just started playing shows wherever we were allowed or not allowed but were let in you know because we were so young like playing in bars and clubs was pretty hard to to navigate sure. yeah um but there were a couple people that were willing to bend the rules um and so we you know we just started playing and and that i think that once we started playing shows i think that really sort of galvanized us and like was like okay this is you know we're a band and we love playing we love playing our music live it's not just some some songs we wrote together in like you know either of our bedrooms and then recorded you know in a studio but it's like to be shared with people and to perform and so i think that's once we started playing shows is when we really decided that you know this was something that we wanted to to push further and then then that's when you decided like let's pursue this as yeah yeah the, the yeah, career this is path Omas, yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah exactly well that that happened <laughs> that's a slower before. development yeah that was a slow, <laughs> okay a slow, we sort of yeah slid into that being like oh yeah this is what we want to do but at that point it was just like this is fun this is where we want to put energy okay um, and and really like for the at least the first five years you know obviously we were hustling and wanting to play shows and wanting to get our music out there but the thoughts of it being a career was kind of not even a thing it was just like we're a band and we want to play music and the thought of it being a career or like bringing any kind of money <laughs> was very very far away okay. yeah and i think potty mouth didn't even come out and potty mouth didn't even come out until like 2009 or pro- i think like 2010 so like okay. at least that first three years and then it was a gradual like increase of professionalism and like choosing <laughs> it as a career path definitely even like for years after that, but like the release, us getting our, our, like our shit together enough Mm -hmm. to at least make those records, the potty mouth project and like Mm -hmm. start to put that out and figure out how that was. That was like, that was more the beginning of trying to figure out how it worked as a business and all of that. Cause those first three years was the only, the only business side of it was definitely just, trying to play local shows and build a local performance audience. But like that first audience base, really, they weren't showing up because of any recordings. It was just through word of mouth, like the communities that we were part of, and then playing, getting better at like bringing a fun experience and a a dope night of of show and entertainment and, and fun. And like, so our first little following was just friends and associates and friends of friends who had a fun time at the first show and Mm -hmm. continued to come back. And I don't think any of them had heard any of our demos or any of like the, the Omis as a recording band. It was really just the Omis as a live gigging band. Okay. 
when when would you say that that all changed and this was like okay this is something we really should pursue was that when you put out the first album the pot start, starting with potty mouth that was the gradual like maybe the very very beginning that was like when we saw our first radio play and it oh wow it what was that like and i mean yeah that was and that was the same weekend that we played the Metro for the first time, which is a huge, oh. huge oh, yeah. venue in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and got to open up for our our close friends, the kids these days back then. But so that, but that that was like baby baby steps levels of starting to take it seriously and and starting to think about it professionally. At least that's in my head uh, where it started to kick off. I don't know about from Maceo. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it was similar, maybe a little bit further down the line that even just became, you know, when you're in, you know, your city and you're playing music at venues and, you you know, you're like building your following at that age or whatever, um, the world is pretty small, you know, it's like, oh, shit, like, we get to play the Metro, like, cool, all right, mm-hmm. that's like, check, we've done it, you know? Right, and then, right. And then I think it was once we started... Um, collaborating and then i feel like really around the time that we put out um chicago style and Mm -hmm. then subsequently went on a a national tour opening up for um um zz ward that sort of the horizons kind of broadened a little bit because we were like okay this is what a national touring touring band looks like this is what a tour looks like and this is okay, this is what I'm going to LA and playing some like, you know, music sessions are, or taking meetings or going to New York and playing gigs. And so once it, once it became a little bit bigger than just the couple venues that we played in the city mm-hmm. and the couple people that were at our shows that we knew um, in the city, because Chicago is a big city, but it's a big, small city. Um, and so I think, I think that was for me, at least when I was like, oh shit, like, this could be something. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it took a little bit longer even for it to be like, this is the something, you know, this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but even it being on the horizon, I think that really started um, like post, post Chicago style. For me. Well, I would say, I mean, having on, on Chicago style, having chance of rapper on the first song in the record, that must've been oh. uh, like, tell me that's must've been a huge accomplishment, a huge milestone. Well, uh- Oh, well, that's uh, a different time period, though. Oh, that at was that a different point, time period. Yeah, I mean, at that point, he was, you know, because like some of the kids these days was a big band in the city. Um, uh-huh. And they, you know, a number of people in that band were members of our band um, at certain points prior to that, because um, they're a little younger than us. And Chance was really uh, like, I only knew him as their friend slash one of the hype men on stage. Um, oh. you know, he's in high school at this age and so like okay. wow i didn't realize him. that yeah you know i'd known of him you know nico seagal like um like there's a close friend who was in the band and i went to elementary school with um and he's he he's like sort of like how i even like had chance on our on our radar as just a person and then um we were working with uh, blended babies on the project and they were like hey there's this kid chance you know he's working on music he's about to put out a project sometime soon you know you mind if he hops comes in the studio and we're like oh yeah oh chance like yeah know him but not like you know didn't really know him for his own personal music uh, at that mm-hmm. point point." and um yeah so he came in and 
the song was about my grandfather who had just recently passed and I was already a little apprehensive because of you know the subject matter and it being very fresh and like okay well like who is this new kid that's going to come in and like I, do I trust do I trust him to like put and I didn't imagine raps on the song period but then like you know do I trust him to take that subject matter and like which is really delicate and really personal and family oriented and like to to you know take that story further and, mm -hmm. and you know um and he just came in and killed it you know he it, it I, you know it ended up being a lot of what i know his music him to be really great in his music which is um being able to like sift through really intimate and sort of family moments and so it mm -hmm. just ended up working really perfectly um but yeah i mean at that point um he was like a, a local kid doing that's that. crazy and then I, think, I mean nowadays he's one oh, of the yeah. biggest artists on the planet, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, dropped, he dropped 10 Day before Chicago Style came out. But when we recorded that, 10 Day wasn't even out yet. So, yeah. like, oh, okay. yeah. right, in the, right before his first full mixtape came out, all, all that was out was 5 Day, which was a, a five-song version of 10 Day. So, but, but, like, but that had nostalgia on it, which was a... A really beautiful, beautiful song. So that mm -hmm. that was the one thing that that I had already become a big fan of that that made it seem like potentially Wonder Years could be an amazing fit for him. But I I understood Maceo's hesitate. You know, he he he. I don't know if Maceo had even heard that song yet because it was it was very brand new. So it was, mm -hmm. but yeah, it was a yeah, that's a different time period. Sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting to hear you talk about like, yeah, I don't know if I trust this guy. Like, because nowadays it's like <laughs> if Chance the Rapper called you and asked you to if, if he wants to collaborate with you, it's like one of those, you know, career changing for, oh, yeah. you know, a younger band now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just funny oh, yeah. to hear those stories oh, yeah. about him being so young and and being like, I don't know about this guy. And then <laughs> the success that he eventually has. It's so funny. Um, oh, well, yeah. I, yeah, you know, it's just like a. No, it's just like, you know, like trusting someone to come in. It's just, you know, like trusting someone to come into a super personal and like raw sort of moment in the song. You know, my mm -hmm. grandfather just passed. So I was like, I don't know if this <laughs> high school kid is yeah. really going to be able to dig into those deep emotions. And right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. And you said uh, when that record came out, that's when you got your first tour opening up uh, for ZZ Ward. Sometime after yeah. that. Yeah. How did that connection happen? Yeah. Um, so the producers that we had worked with um, for Chicago Style, Blended Babies, had also done some work for her. And they used uh, and one of the songs that actually the first song that I ever like wrote, um, they actually ended up um, repurposing it and using it. Um, for, for one of her songs called Darling. And then oh. my original one was called Little Darling. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of how that sort of all happened, you know? Um, and, you know, she was super sweet and her whole band was super sweet and welcomed us on. We were like, you know, super not, super, super green to the whole experience. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, learned a lot. And from that tour, what was the next milestone for for you guys 
the next milestone I think was, I mean, to be honest, it wasn't until what Nick, like, I think after that we realized we needed to record more music. <laughs> um, and so we, I think really it was a large, a big gap of time of us learning, learning how to record and write, you know, I think like we had spent some time playing shows um, mm -hmm. at the beginning of the band. And then, you know, our sessions for Chicago style were really our first sessions really in a, in a, in a real studio. Mm -hmm. um, and so getting the glimpse of like, okay, this is how, you know, the process of recording happens and producing, you know, there's like, you can have a song, but then it can sound a million different ways, depending on, you know, what you do in the studio. And because we didn't have access to a studio, um, just like building out our own. And I lived with Nick at that point. And so we had a home studio and, you know, I, I guess the milestones are really about creating music, you know, mm -hmm. like I think, and that's why personally, in some ways, you know, I think it took a lot longer for us to really look at it as a, as a career mm -hmm. because, you know, we were really just interested in making music. And at that point in Chicago, there was so much, um, so so much budding talent and like amazing community of people that it was just about like creating with creating with different folks from all different types of genres or music and like having fun and, and i don't think that at least in our head completely transferred to like this is going to be a career um so like humble masterpiece was i think our first first step into like, okay, let's try to produce, you know, it's like super roughly produced. Um, but I think that was sort of what, what started us on our way. And from there, I think headlining our own like Metro shows in the city. Mm -hmm. oh. Steps, yes. Wait, we dropped. We, we lost uh, you for wait. a second there. <laughs> we just started, started a tour, uh, like our actual own headlining show and then um and then starting to tour um mm -hmm. i think those were the biggest sort of next steps um for us um but really it was the music you know learning so much from collaborating with a bunch of different people um in the city and different musicians because that was always changing um mm -hmm. yeah i think it was mostly about being immersed in what was happening in chicago for a little while Okay. And you obviously stayed in contact with, with Chance because he was on your on the Tomorrow record. Yeah. I think you did another song with you guys in between there as well. Yeah, yeah. Just, yeah. everybody yeah. was in that community. Like mm -hmm. that was that was definitely the time frame where on any given day all types of different amazing artists of all different genres could be hanging out in our living room, like right outside of our home studio. Like it was like a a wait a waiting room or you know like it was an endless cycle of people coming through the house um that were all really talented so that whole time frame like around humble masterpiece all the way up to keeping the faith um but right before and after the zz ward tour um that was all like just super organic constantly either either i was letting maceo know that somebody told me they were coming over and we should get ready for a session or Maseo was telling me that I had 10 minutes to get ready because a bunch of people were about to come through our house and make music. Like 
it really it happened from day to day, like very fluid. Or they just knock on the door. Or they just knock on the door, or or we just run into them at the like on the street, like because because it was a busy neighborhood and it was you know anybody might be out and about, and then all of a sudden we're all making a song together. So wow, so that was that those records were done. Was tomorrow done in your house? No, no, tomorrow was the first project post post the house. First project studios. Uh, okay, uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, we did Chicago style in the studio, and then we did tomorrow in a studio, and everything in between was, was done in your house. Just, and, to, and tomorrow was like the when like we stopped living in the same house together, so it, it changed like it made like a different but super. What I think was a really healthy change, but just it it made it so that it needed a little bit more intentional, like intentionality to like even just making a song as simple as it still was, because Maceo was only 10 blocks from my house. But mm-hmm. just that distance and the fact that we actually had to like plan on when we were going to get up and make music mm-hmm. that that changed and it took a while to figure out that process, that creative process versus just literally at any given moment, nighttime, morning, afternoon, mm-hmm. living together, the day could become a song. But like that, that process changed around the time of tomorrow where, where we were more intentionally making time to write songs and record songs. And, and uh, yeah. All right. Well, it, it sounds like with this new record though, it kind of came back full circle. Didn't you build a studio during the pandemic and record the record in your, in your house again? Well, not in the house. So like, um, so, you know, tomorrow was, you know, aside from, from Chicago style was like uh-huh. really our first time, our second time being in real studios, like consistently and working on a project in a real studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was really amazing process, like learned a lot, a lot. Um, and then also like, you know, of what we loved and then also learned a lot of what we didn't um, or what we needed to do sort of not in a studio with like, you know, the clock ticking and a bunch of people. Yeah. You know, Time is money. <laughs> yeah, <deal. laughs> and so um, on uh, a, a studio space like in Rogers Park and I just moved back to Rogers Park and um you know, it, the whole building is like no one, none of them are musicians. It's like carpenters and a pool hall and a bunch of other random things. But um, this, there was a space and it was, you know, we could afford it. And so we just built it out um, and built like, you know, isolation booths and, and took what we learned from working in studios and like, was like, okay, how do we do this for ourselves? You know, we're obviously not going to mix it ourselves, but we want to be able to create and like explore sounds um, on our own time. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, there's like always a thing about being in a studio of you hearing it in your head, what you want, and then trying to like communicate it to somebody and, you know, the engineer, which half the time works and half the time just um it gets lost in translation mm-hmm. and so to like begin to give yourself the vocabulary and to get your hands in it yourself um was kind of what we were shooting to do and so when we built it out uh 
it was like right before COVID hit and oh. which was actually a blessing because all the studios shut down. And right. so once COVID, we were like, well, shit, we have a studio fully, you know, fresh and built out. And so we just spent all of our time in there. Um, and that was a lot, uh, sort of like a hybrid. I, I really looked at it as like a hybrid of, of sort of like what we were doing prior to tomorrow when we lived together and sort of the organicness of the space and also um, this amount of time to actually um, to experiment, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we did that, but then also, you know, with us learning, learning, you know, from the engineers in the studios, um, the basics, as well as then sending it to them to mix, we kind of found like some sort of happy middle ground um, where um, didn't feel constrained by this, by, you know, being in a studio, but then also could, you know, use some of what we can't do ourselves. Mm-hmm. And would you say like the, the pandemic when, when, you know, having all that time, did you feel like it affected the record at all? Yeah, I think, I think, well, A, I think the time, um, you know, it was like a very introspective time, you know, um, and because of that, you know, pieces of it were songs that had been started just prior to, prior to it, and pieces of them were ones that, you know, started during it, but I think the songs that we chose and the songs that uh, we finished were really informed by, you know, what was going on um, because there's so much about interpersonal um, sort of relationships, whether they're, you know, romantic or not. Um, It was kind of really about figuring out, looking at, looking at all those relationships from, from a, a good amount of distance that we haven't had, you know, as people like the whole world just shutting down and not seeing people really mm-hmm. gave a lot of, a lot of uh, perspective to those. And so I think in that way it really did. And then also in terms of the process of recording, I think this is probably the first project where, you know, the majority of everything is played by us. Um, we have some some drums from um, Alfonso Jones and some bass from Boyang Matsapola and a little bit of uh, of trombone from J.P. Floyd, all um, members of the band at different points. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I play drums and bass on songs. Um, you know, there's a lot more guitar or other things that usually I would do a little bit of or sub out to have somebody else do or whatever. Um, so I think it just forced us to even on the engineering and just figure it out ourselves and like, you know, okay, lay it down. if it isn't, if, if it doesn't sound exactly the way we want it, that's good for now. And we'll figure out how to get someone to play it better if we need to. But a lot of the stuff just ended up sticking. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, I feel like the process for all of the, terrible things that came with mm-hmm. with um that time i think also is um a really a really big growing growing point for us mm-hmm. it's amazing that you guys are able to 
have you know inspiration because i've talked to a lot of artists either they had a lot like they were inspired by everything that was going on and like they just needed to get it out or they were like oh my gosh i've been sitting in this house for <laughs> you know now what what's the two years and yeah you know how am i gonna pull any inspiration and any inspiration for something i'm not do it's like you aren't out living right i mean you're more mm-hmm. did yeah. you did you run into that at all definitely yeah we definitely experienced a a good amount of that. And I think we were also really fortunate to have, we always have tons of the beginnings of ideas. And a lot of these songs, like the very early skeleton of those songs had happened right before all this, just like we were lucky that we built that studio just in time. (laughs) We were also lucky to have spent a whole summer, you know, like we had lived a whole lot of life leading right up to that point. So there was, there was things to reflect on and there was ideas of songs to go to. Maceo had had pieces of a good amount of the songs. The lyrics for Cynthia were already written. Um, Lonely as a book on the shelf, that concept was already there. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of the even if it was just the smallest amount, that was really helpful to have all these little ideas to expand on. In a time where, yeah, sometimes it wasn't feeling super inspired to maybe start something from scratch for myself. And it was really helpful to have these bits and pieces to 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 build on and spend time um, turning into full, really, really amazing songs, I think. Mm-hmm. I think the record's incredible. And also the like and also I think part of what pushed us or was inspiring was also we had never had our own space to like record music outside of our homes and like we had just spent all this time building this and like getting shit for it and getting it ready and it was just like excited to just go crazy in there also mm-hmm. you know I think if if it, if it if I was staring at the same home studio that I was staring at prior to that probably would have been a little less um less inspired to like get up and go to the studio five days a week Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it was right next to the living room, I might have just been on the couch. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> you had to put the effort in to get there and everything. I yeah. guess that's probably yeah. a lot of it too. I'm here, I gotta go. work. Yeah. Just like a safe, safe, responsible place to go during the lockdown where we were still in our bubble, but able to be out of the house and be together getting creative was such a blessing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. were you able to work i mean obviously the you guys just put out the record but were you working on other stuff now i mean where is it just keep going are you constantly writing there's, yeah there's i mean holidays. yeah yeah there's like hard drives and hard drives worth of stuff because you know like nick at that point wasn't living in the neighborhood and so he would travel up during the daytime and we would like finish and work on a bunch of stuff and then afterwards in the nighttime and be like okay well let me work on some stuff by myself or let me hit up my buddy that I make beats with down the street. And so like, I think we both like just kept, even if there weren't things that would traditionally have been like something I thought it's going to be like an homage record or something that was like, okay, it's going to go in this direction. Um, the, I guess it, it, it continuously started to grow as we got to experiment more with what, what our sound could be you know Mm -hmm. i think at certain points you get 
if it doesn't sound like this and it isn't recorded like this, and it's not a OMI's record or what are they going to think? And it's like, well, no one's checking for that. First of all, <laughs> also, like that's not what it's about. And so I think, um, as much as like some, there's so many different things that looking at it, not sure if this is going to turn into a full song or not, just getting it out and allows for a lot of possibilities. That's amazing. Well, I appreciate your guys' time. Thank you so much for, for hanging out with me today. Yeah, thank you. Thank um, you. Yeah. yeah. Nick, Masail, uh, I have one more question for you both. I want to see if I can get an answer from each of you, though. I want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists. Uh, yeah, I, I would say as, as simple and maybe unhelpful as this is, but just, just get started and just do it. Lay an idea out, um, try a show, you know, uh, try all these things out because, because no one's really clocking you and watching you as closely as you are watching yourself and being tough on yourself uh, creatively and business wise, like your, your friends, your fans, everyone's just proud and happy that, that you exist and that you're making your ideas come true. So just like continue to do it. You can always edit it later. Like if you have an idea, don't worry about if it's good or not. Like just put that idea down because the next week you might not remember that idea and who knows how good it was always it's always better to be able to come back to something decide if you like it or not as opposed to in the moment decide that you're not sure of it or you're being judgmental of yourself and then you just don't even document it so i love it i love that what about you Maceo? Um, yeah i would say like definitely just get your hands dirty and do it and then also um you know don't don't wait on other people um you know i think i think uh, like for better or worse artists have to be everything for themselves and both on the business end but also as on the creative end and the writing and recording end you know like if the idea is there lay it down if you want to hear what it sounds with the keyboard on it try and figure out what's gonna you know you may not be a drummer, but like if you hear something, try and lay it down. And by the same token, if you want to see something happen, you know, either, you know, business wise or career wise, you know, you can't really, you know, you can't depend and wait on other people to make those things happen. You know, um, you really, I've, at least personally, I feel like um, you have to have your hands in it all because um, no one's going to care about it as much as you. So.